My name is Linda Williams, and this is Reality Skimming. Welcome back to Reality Skimming. Now for the second half of the silver box. We have had Daimon meeting with Deander at Dan Eva's. Deander wants to appeal to him in the name of Amaron to reestablish connections with the Rishans and has handed over Renar as something of a challenge and a present. But he gets Renar, Daimon gets Renar out of sight before the Husians arrive. Because the Husians are likely to enforce the if you trespass, you will be killed clause in the Amoric Treaty as it was left 200 years previously at the end of first contact. This is something the Rishans were not particularly aware of, as Renar had explained. So now we have the silver damage showing up on the scene. The Husian party filled the end of the entrance hall as only an all-male party of broad-shouldered Demish princes knew how. Eva's servants made themselves busy taking cloaks. De Ander wore a grin Daimon dearly wanted to rip off. No doubt he took Daimon's failure to expose Renard to Huse as a sign he had gained ground. My thanks for your graciousness to Perry earlier, De Ander surprised Daimon by slipping in double fast. I don't believe she considered me gracious, said Daimon. You do not know her as I do. De Anders' tone laughed at things he didn't say aloud. Take my word for it, you have restored her faith in courtly honor. Daimon gave the golden prince a sour frown. He had absolutely no intention of befriending killing reach rebels of questionable honor and a golden half-breed with a knack for setting other Demish at his throat. But all Daimon had time for was to tell Deander curtly, do not presume too much. The Husians were on the move, five errants, two princes and their leader, Prince Hughes. All of them were male, of course. Daimon had not really expected to see Demish women, because their presence would have signaled that this was, in fact, the social event it strove to portray itself as. Prince Hughes looked as broad as two men, with his admiralty jacket expanding already wide shoulders. His house braid climaxed in silver at his collarbones, beginning at the hem in threads of blue, with the brown thread of the laurel contribution sketched in much too lightly, particularly in contrast to the emphasis placed on thin infusions of gold across the jacket's breast. Prince Hughes was not technically liege of Silverhearth. His ailing mother was known as the Princess Liege, which seemed to be an honorary title, since Hughes himself appeared to rule. Daimon had once assumed Avadelm was a Princess Liege, since he left the business of Avaship to his inferiors, but Prince Hughes found the notion offensive. In attempting to explain why, the Demish prince had sputtered on for half an hour about gender distinctions, completely lost on Daimon. Mysteriously, equating Delm's style of holding title to that of a princess liege was an insult both to Delm and to the princesses. Hughes haunted a few sword lengths from Deander and Daimon to ponder them with a massive frown. Child novices, barefoot, 
and dressed in white togas, offered them wine horns in upstretched hands. The glass horns ended in points and could not be put down without a matching stand. Deander accepted his horn with his sword hand. Daimon took this as a good sign. He relieved the children of two horns and carried one personally to Prince Hughes, who was glaring at his gloriously golden nephew Deander from under an impressive set of bushy eyebrows. I will not introduce you, Daimon told Hughes, nodding towards Deander. I don't believe you have forgotten the child you brought up in Silverhearth. Hughes took the offered wine horn from Daimon. It is good to see you again, Deander, he allowed, and added grudgingly, it has been too long. Deander said, we've seen each other, uncle, across the challenge floor in Lion Reach, last I recall. I am glad, he said honestly, it has not yet been personally, sword to sword. Deander asked to see me to discuss recent evidence of Rishans in Killing Reach, Daimon said quickly. I told him I would do so only if you would attend as well, out of respect for our alliance and awareness of your differences. Hughes bristled. Yes, and here I am, as you see. Much to my surprise, admitted Daimon. Hmph, Hughes said and waved to his errands to deploy themselves around the edges of the patron's floor. His highborn kinsman stayed with him, although he did not bother introducing either man. I gather we are going to have Vaughn's Demish adaptation of your McCanston's quarrel, Hughes decided to make small talk as they all drifted over to the table. It's been a good deal talked about. So I have heard, Daimon said in a tone meant to dry the subject up. Deander set his chair back a little from the glass-topped table and sat down. Vaughn the sword dancer, he mused aloud. I have heard there were duels fought over him at a court reception. Some drellish women showed up uninvited and made a scene afterwards, if that is what you mean, Hughes replied with a glare at Tessitat as if she were somehow responsible for the antics of all Vrelish females. But it was a very good performance, in spite of the nonsense afterwards. I am afraid Vaughn has vanished, Daimon confessed, after waiting for Prince Hughes to finish challenging the furniture by seating himself. But Eva assured me his understudy will perform the piece instead. Vanished? Hughes took a surprisingly acute interest. But if Hughes had... Further questions, they were postponed. The dance began with a fanfare of music as the dancers entered from a spoke and took up their positions on the central performance floor. The piece opened bravely enough. Eva bobbed around her partner's first attacks, playing up the visual jokes in the choreography. This was the scene in which the lovers meet in an exhibition tournament, the man a Demish prince and the woman of Relish Highborn. Tessa Tat and De Ander laughed at the contrast of Demish and Frelish styles overlaid with sexual innuendo. But by the second scene, Vaughn's absence was beginning to show. The understudy was reaching for a strength and fluidity he didn't have, and it impacted Eva's performance. 
Daimon had not realized before how much Vaughn extended his strength into his partner's movements using tricks the understudy's emulation exposed. She should retire, Hughes remarked, before she injures herself trying to keep up. Daimon looked at him abruptly. Eva? Of course, Hughes declined and offered delicacy and fixed Daimon with a stern stare. Are you going to provide for her when she does? Am I what? asked Daimon, taken aback. My uncle thinks one ought to take care of one's discarded mistresses, Deander glibly interpreted. The Vrelish do not keep mistresses, said Daimon. Well then, Deander shrugged, as if it was a moot point. One's Laika. Daimon's lips compressed, but at least he understood what was going on now. He was being lectured on his responsibility to a socially inferior sex partner. Eva is a courtesan I sometimes patronize, he told the Demish princes. A Laika is much more. To be Laikistan implies mutual consent and obligation. I have never named her Laika. Come, man, Hugh subjected. Don't split hairs. The woman's yours. Daimon carefully coaxed his jaw loose, vexed with Tessitat for smirking behind Hughes's back where she had posted herself beside one of the Hughesian's kinsmen. Deander was enjoying himself too. I believe the Lycastan relationship is rather closer to a Demish marriage than having a kept woman, he informed his more powerful but less flamboyant uncle. Except you may have more than one Lyca, and it doesn't interfere with other sorts of relish marriage either. Hughes gave his nephew a scathing look. I don't care what they call it. It is a natural obligation to look after the woman. Eva is Liege Monitum's business, Deander capped the argument, not ours. Hughes let the matter drop and looked back to the dancers, who were struggling for a credible finale to scene two. Eva was making small mistakes that could have been dangerous. Dear gods, Timon thought, she must have heard everything we said about her. I was sorry to hear about the death of Prince Sarand. Hugh spoke directly to Deander, ignoring the dancers now. I'm sure. Deander's tone was chilly. Hugh said, It is always a tragedy to lose a golden highborn to the sword. Deander sought Daimon's eyes as he said, He fought with honor. Goldens are not meant for fighting, Deander, Hugh scolded. The Demoran prince broke eye contact with Daimon, his eyes flashing clear blue fire under their long golden lashes and bright eyebrows. Whereas we are meant for what? Better things, said Hughes. Art. Deander handed his winehorn off to one of the hovering novices and leaned forward on both elbows. On Gillian, he told his estranged uncle, the artists are all prostitutes. Hughes's back stiffened. His strong features shifted toward insult and settled again into bitter disappointment. You are still young, 
Ander rolled his eyes as he flung himself back in his chair, struggling with his own anger. Oh, yes, I, I know. You were 47 years old, said Hughes. I was 47, long before your father won your mother's golden heart and then died of sorrow when she left him to return home. He died in space, DeAnder corrected. Because he was grieving, he would never have lost his nerve in the cockpit if he hadn't been pining for your mother. Damn it, boy, Hughes pressed his lips together. I want you to consider a truce to begin negotiations with me about all the outstanding issues between us, to reconcile silver and golden hearths. The golden champion's eyes widened in surprise and promptly narrowed. What do you want that you haven't already got? Does there have to be a reason? You know how we feel about Demora. I know, Deander returned tartly, that it has pleased you to exploit Demora's resources, export our culture, and kidnap our princesses to be your brides. But Demora is a proud planet, and we are a proud people. Deander, do you seriously believe we do such things? Hughes asked, wounded. Do I believe it happens? Deander tossed back. Or are you asking if I think you see it in the same way I do? Silvers love Demorans for their own reasons. While you, who are also part Husian, serve Demora's interests with a purer heart, Prince Hughes laid his big hands on the glass table. Tell me, Deander, do you obey the Golden Emperor? Or do you act in his best interests for his own protection? just as we Husians have always done. Dander's expression locked up. If the Golden Emperor is still alive, of course, Hughes gently probed, he is never seen now except by his inner court. He is alive, Dander said flatly. Hughes shifted in his seat, looking awkward. The Golden Emperor... Is Avidelm's grandfather. Only because, Deander warmed to the theme of old grudges, Hughes looted Demora of its greatest treasure when it forced the Golden Emperor's daughter to marry Delm's father. No one expected she would die, cried Hughes in genuine anguish. Deander shot up. That's no excuse. The music stopped. Birdsong decorated the silence, the singers hopping from branch to branch of the potted plants, indifferent to the quarrel. The tension between the two Demish princes had a deep, heavy quality, very different from the hot, quick nature of a frelish quarrel. It put Daimon in mind of the contrast between dodging lightning bolts and living on a geological fault. On the whole, he was more comfortable with sudden storms. What if we start over, Hughes wheedled. Together, we could accomplish much, even usher in a new golden age at court. The ander was completely still for a moment. Then he asked hoarsely, What? Hughes rose, grating the feet of his chair on the floor. 
Daimon got up too, succumbing to the sheer impossibility of keeping still in the face of so much stirred emotion. If the Demish princes had been frelish, there would already be blood on the floor. De Anders' face had drained white and he trembled with anger. You want the Golden Emperor, he said in a hushed tone. You want to bring him here, to court, to Gillian. De Ander, Hughes tried to sound reasonable. No, the younger prince retreated, still aghast. I thought there was still something decent in you, despite it all. I thought you were only blind or stupid. Be careful, boy, Hughes threatened. De Ander shook his golden mane, his face flushing hot. If you want anything more from Demora, anything, you understand? You will have to take it from me. By the sword, on the challenge floor. Wait! Hughes took a step forward, but Deander was already halfway to the entrance hall, where servants sprang to meet him, bearing his heavy, ornate cloak. Prince Hughes's attendant princes made to follow, but Hughes called them back. Let him go, he told them, with mixed emotions of resentment and pride. Deander could kill either of you, and possibly both at once. On the dance floor, Eva had called a halt and stood beside Vaughn's understudy, looking as brave as she could. Daimon met her stare briefly. Her eyes dropped. Go and entertain yourselves, Hughes dismissed his kinsman, but keep it light. I won't be long. Eva! Daimon had to call to her to make her look up. Once their eyes met, she grasped quickly that the Husians must be steered away from the first pair of guests she had hidden. Will you see the Husians are made comfortable? Daimon asked. She did, with every symptom of her usual aplomb. Hughes settled back into his seat. De Ander was such a promising boy, he lamented. He is an honorable man, said Daimon, and a fine sword. Those were the only good things he could find to say about De Ander right now. He is too good a sword, Hughes gave a discontented grunt. It will be the death of him one day, you know. He stopped and fixed a stern look on Daimon. Your message said he asked you about Rishans. Daimon nodded. You know what he wants? Hughes asked rhetorically. He wants to trade with them. Trade, Hughes sighed. I do not know where I went wrong bringing him up. Don't you consider trade honorable? Not with Rishans, Hughes snapped. Perhaps they've changed, said Daimon. <laughs> Hughes grunted and emptied his wine horn. A novice filled it up immediately, but Hughes set it down in its stand and left the refill untouched. I suppose he asked you to help him cultivate them, said Hughes. Speak English to them. He paused. How did you let him down? I have not yet, said Daimon. Not entirely. Hughes went very still, then said slowly, I know that look. You're curious. It's the curse of your laurel blood. Deander has already encountered Rishans, said Daimon. Wouldn't it be useful to find out what they want? Perhaps they have forgotten the terms of the Americ Treaty. 
we ought to be sure they are informed of the consequences of trespass. Force is all that O'Callany people understand, Hughes insisted. Force and more force. Perhaps, admitted Daimon. You need proof? Hughes fished in his embroidered jacket to produce a slim silver box and plunked it down between them. Daimon winced, afraid Hughes was going to crack Eva's glass tabletop. This is Rishan, Hughes declared, accusingly. Something they have been selling out in Killing Reach. It looks innocuous enough, said Daimon, trying not to think about Renard. Then watch, said Hughes, and touched the case in a particular spot. Solid light projections of a brown man and a brown woman sprouted from the box. They were a couple strolling down a garden path. Daimon had never seen such technology before. The tiny brown people were a little translucent and the scene was hazy at its edges, but on the whole it far surpassed all the imaging capabilities he knew of, including his own nerve cloth. The man and woman melted into each other's arms and were transported to a bed inside a bungalow. The transition did not impress Daimon. He could do such things easily enough. A voice speaking what he guessed must be Rishan began a narrative voiceover. Then the focus zoomed in on cross-sectional diagrams of male and female sex organs. Instructions for flesh probing, Hughes said with profound disgust. I do not think so, said Daimon. The figures before had looked realistic. Now the pictures were cartoon-like, and the tone of voice struck him as clinical. This isn't the worst Hughes stroked his hand over the box in the opposite direction. Suddenly, both lovers were men. Daimon sprang up, catching the glass tabletop. His drink crashed, his chair fell back. It does another version too, Hughes exclaimed. With two women, that is Rishan's for you. Turn it off, Daimon demanded. I know, I know, I only wanted you to see how- Turn it off, Daimon stood with his hands fisted at the ends of stiff arms. Hutz reached over and touched the box on either side, quenching the pictures. There was a silence except for Daimon's breathing, which came harsh and fast. I'm sorry, said Hughes contritely. It, it spooked me too the first time. I should have warned you. I would like to study the technology, Daimon said. Keep it. Hughes told him. By all means, but I've something to ask in return. Hughes leaned forward. Daimon tore his stare from the silver box to look up. Vaughn, said Hughes. Vaughn? Daimon echoed. Not sure he had heard correctly. What about Vaughn? You know of the Hereths, I suppose, Hughes said quickly. How they've both fallen from favor with Delm. There have been disquieting rumors. Rumors, Daimon echoed again, still numb. Uh, things to do with secrets learned in bedrooms and, and turned to liege Hareth's advantage. Vaughn seems to be implicated, Hughes frowned. Unfortunately, the boy is my mother's best tonic right now. She's fond of him, purely for the sake of his poetry and disposition, of course, but there you have it, and she is dying. I would rather 
Any consequences owed him over the Hareth business were put off for the time being, so Hughes finished brusquely. If you learn anything concerning his disappearance, will you notify me? Of course, Daimon said, hardly listening. Well then, the big silver Demish leader got up. I'll be going. You keep the artifact, and don't let that mad nephew of mine get around you with his talk about Amaron. Daimon watched Prince Hughes until he had left the room, unable to get past the shock of the silver box, until Tessitat came back to stand beside him. Collecting himself with force, he took the box from the table before she asked questions about it. Deander left without Perry Dar, he remembered. Tell the staff to put her up here at my expense for the interim. If she is offended by the locale, being a Demish female, he shrugged. By all means, let her see to her own accommodation and conduct the region quietly to Greenhorth. He paused. We'll put him in Amaron's room. Tessitat was surprised by the last arrangement. So was Daimon, but it had felt like the right thing to do somehow. I wish to see Eva before I go, Daimon ordered the servant who brought him his cloak and was conducted to her office. Eva turned to face him with a look of fear he had never seen there before. You have learned English, Daimon addressed her in that language, finding the lack of pronoun differencing odd. The only commoner he spoke English to was Cyrillus and now the Rishan, Renar. Eva held his stare, although that seemed to strip her of the power to lie. Yes, she said, I have. Vaughn taught you, Daimon guessed. I asked him to, Your Grace. She lapsed back into Gilak. Daimon frowned. Do you know Vaughn may be mixed up in how the Hareths gained Delm's favor? No, said Eva, and paused to think. I obtained Vaughn from Hareth Manor. Lady Hareth said he was unhappy as a house servant, but there may have been more to it. If so, he never told me what. She hesitated, then felt driven to ask, Do you know what has happened to Vaughn, whether he is still alive? The question took courage. He wasn't sure she ought to feel protective towards her protege just now. Did Vaughn teach you English at the Hareth's request? Daimon demanded. The realization she might be suspected dawned on Eva with a cruel impact. She sank into an armchair across from where Daimon stood, interrogating her. No, she said, breaking eye contact at last, her shoulders slumped. I asked him to teach me for my own reasons. To impress me, he asked bluntly. She looked up, her face desolate. Yes, liege monitum. Prince Hughes thinks I should provide for your retirement, Daimon recalled. It is, I suppose, a more common thing among the Demish to patronize the same courtesan for many years as I have done you, and hence a reasonable expectation on your part that I might also behave in a Demish manner regarding your retirement. Is this correct? To her credit, she never flinched. Yes, liege monitum. 
But you believe I required encouragement, he decided, proof that you could function in my household where English is spoken. If so, why keep it secret from me? She stood. Her face was burning, but her eyes were guiltless. I am still not as fluent in English as I had hoped. I never will be now. She paused to shed her blasted hopes. Foolish I may have been, she admitted, and arrogant, but I know nothing about any conspiracy between the Harraths and Vaughan, and I cannot imagine him obliging Lady Harath a hair's width more than business required. He disliked her, and I think he was mistreated under her roof. If you don't believe me, it hardly matters. Without Vaughan or you, I have no livelihood to protect. I'm finished. But I would like to be believed, for my pride's sake. And I beg you, take my compliments to the lover who has bested me in your affections. She is a fortunate woman. Daimon laughed. It was a cruel sound. Eva stood, frozen, waiting for it to stop. It cut off abruptly rather than fading out. When he spoke, it was incongruously gentle. You are wrong, Eva. I find you more attractive than most women, and never more so than now. Her head came up, wearing a puzzled but wary expression. I think, he said, my own pride is your competitor. It seemed to me a courtesan might find me dull. For a vrelish man, I have a strained relationship with lust. Very slowly, she dared to smile. I think I can understand why. Oh, his brittleness drove her on. You are a man ruled by reason. To indulge passion, you must give up self-control. How can you, when reason is all you trust? It must be frightening. You think I am frightened of you, he asked, amused. Not me. Of your own needs, I am merely the means of their discharge. The idea displeased him. No, Eva, no one should be that. He inhaled as if against a powerful, oppressive burden, then let his breath out. Do you still want to become my Laika? She said, I do. And by that you expect to be kept comfortably on monotum. The time and nature of my, she began, but sensed honesty would serve her better. Yes, she admitted. His lips tightened. I will take you to Monitum. She stopped breathing. It was disconcerting. He reacted by becoming brisk. I may bring you back to court with me again as well, he said, though not repeatedly. I am sensible of the harm travelling does commoners. She nodded. He had the annoying suspicion she would have agreed even if the offer included execution if he tired of her. You should understand what I intend, he said. To be of relish Laika is not what you might think of as retirement. I will not put you in a cottage on my property like an aging Demish mistress and leave you there to tend flowers by day and sleep by night. I am not demanding as these things go, but I will want you to be available. That pleases me, he smiled cynically. Let's assume so. There is one other issue. 
Yes, I will require your loyalty. Eva nodded. I want you to think about what I've said. That isn't necessary. I believe it is, he insisted. As you wish, said Eva. It must be an honest choice, Daimon continued. My Laika would be part of my household and expected to think like a Sevalite on occasions, and that can be trying for a commoner. If you refuse, I will find you comfortable work here on Gillian. I am sure anyone who has managed a den will have no trouble managing a warehouse. Eva was clearly overcome. That is very generous. No, it is selfish. I wish you to choose, not be driven. Eva laughed and raised her right hand to cover her mouth in horror. Daimon was puzzled, not offended. He waited with his head cocked a fraction to the right, looking curious. Forgive me, Eva blurted. She relaxed then and laughed again in a pleasant manner. Truly, Daimon, I don't need to think about it. I would rather you did, he said firmly. And in either case, there will be things you will need to arrange here. Send word when you are ready, and I will have you fetched to Greenhearth to tell me what you decide. Is there someone competent here to take over? Competent? She seemed dazed. But Vaughn may still come back? I don't know otherwise, he told her truthfully. But it is unlikely he would be able to run a den unless he is cleared of this association with the Harath's. He shrugged one shoulder. Prince Hughes might be motivated to help so long as his mother is still alive when Vaughn turns up. Thank you, she said. And then again, involuntarily, thank you, Daimon. He left at once for fear she was going to cry in front of him. Tears were foreign territory to Daimon. In that, as in so much, he was too frelish. His eyes filled only in reaction to an irritant. He never once thought of taking Cess Nursel up on her offer to come and spend time with her. He wanted to get back to Greenhearth to explore the technology in the silver box. Then he would ask the Rishan about the meaning of the pictures it showed. If nothing else, Renard's answers might make it easier to hand him over to Hughes for execution. And that is the end of the silver box. I came up with the whole Daimon Renard thing a long time ago. It must have been in the mid-90s. At a time when it wasn't so common to be talking about gay people. And I myself had only sort of found out they existed uh, a little before that. I remember asking my brother about it at one point and being puzzled. I had met a couple of gay people, gay men, at uh, the Raven's room at UVic uh, when I was an undergraduate student. And that had sort of demonstrated to me that they were just people. And so um, since I used the Okoval universe for thought experiments, I had taken a character that already existed, Daimon, and thought, hmm, how much would it complicate his life if he was gay? Which gave me all kinds of interesting backstory issues. And then Renard on the Rishan side um, became 
the love interest. So this will play out into the future and have quite an impact on the series. But what I like about Daimon is that he already had a role and a personality before this added character trait was introduced. He's not just a gay character who is there to be a gay character. And likewise, Renard has a lot of uh, complexity to his character and to his roles than just the love interest, although it does become a very important one. Anyway, at the time, ironically, I was told repeatedly by people who knew things about the uh, publishing industry and the state of sci-fi in the world that I would never be able to publish these books because of this relationship. And uh, of course, 20 years on uh, or more, it's uh, <laughs> the criticisms that I received occasionally were sort of the opposite, that uh, Daimon should be instantly okay with being gay and not have the complex problems that he does in regard to it. But I will let the story stand as it is for why he has those problems. And I think we sometimes disrespect people from history who had challenges with an intolerance in their own cultures when we assume they could somehow just shrug it off or make a decision and then not suffer the consequences. Uh, there are serious consequences and there are um, psychological consequences as well. I So I found this uh, whole thought experiment very interesting. And I also started in this uh, book, this idea of taking a problem and then exploring it from different angles. So, uh, probably figured out by now that Hareth is gay and Vaughn isn't, and um, that that is an exploitive relationship. Uh, Hareth is also a character uh, of a spoilt, self-indulgent nature. Rather than pure evil, he is a brat um, and was spoiled by his mother and thinks himself more important, but not in a, a sort of a I am the emperor kind of way, more in a little boy, uh, look, mommy, they're not being nice to me kind of way. But the power he has over people, of course, makes that uh, lack of um, empathy really nasty. Um, in any case, he and Daimon have a similar problem in that they're living in a culture, the court culture of Seveldom, not necessarily the same as all cultures of Seveldom, but definitely court culture of Seveldom, which is heavily influenced by the Demish, um, including those, and, and has sort of touched upon those relish that are firmly established at court. Anyway, there's a lot more backstory about these kind of issues in later aspects of the book. But Hareth and Daimon have the same problem, but they deal with it very differently. And of course, um, Daimon being a character I am very partial to, I feel he deals with it much better. Although, of course, he is um, uh, pretty high strung <laughs> and uh, does an angsty in his way. Um, anyway, that is the silver box where we have the first inklings that there's something about that portrayal of a homosexual sex ed uh, um, projection that 
upsets Daimon, and he is going to talk to Renard about it later. And we'll see you next time on Reality Skimming.